Ruth chapter 3 is where we'll be in just a minute. Kind of set this up. I've not preached in a couple weeks. Last week we had Brian Porgio who just tore it up. And the week before that, Pastor Nathan stepped in for me when I was battling some pneumonia issues. <laughs> and uh, he introduced you in his sermon out of, Matthew, or out of Ruth 2. He introduced you to a man by the name of Boaz. Boaz was a kind of recap Nathan's message really quick. Boaz was a wealthy, influential man from Bethlehem. He was a relative of Naomi, of Naomi's husband, and uh, who was Ruth's mother-in-law in our text. We learn that we have hope, and this is the title of this series is Hope. We learn that we have hope because God is for us. He's always for us, no matter what. In the middle of an addiction, in the middle of whatever problems we have in life or how good or how bad, God is always for us, and because of that, we have hope. God provides, one of his other points was God provides for our physical and spiritual needs, always. He meets those needs. He also uses us to provide for others. That's why they left some things in the corner of the fields and those different things. Being in a right relationship with God puts us in a position to receive God's provision in our life. And uh, so we want to be in right relationship, stay in right relationship so we can see God's provision in our life. Faith is what activates God's provision in our life. And so those, those were the main points you had a couple weeks ago out of chapter 2. And now as we get ready to go into chapter 3, we see Ruth. You pretty much left Ruth and she was gleaning out in the fields of Boaz. Or she was out there working in the fields of Boaz and she was gleaning for her family. Now Ruth's mother-in-law, whose name is Naomi, she was a different person ever since Boaz came into Ruth's life. We see a change starting to happen in Naomi. Naomi's mind, her focus was beginning to shift from her grief, from her pain, from her plight in life. Because, you know, when she came, she was thinking about, when she came back to Bethlehem, she was thinking about, you know, her life was just kind of consumed by her loss. By the loss of her husband, her sons, her, her being able to take care of herself. But now we see, since Boaz has stepped into Ruth's life, we see Naomi's mind starting to change. And it gets off of her grief and her plight. And it, she begins to think about Ruth and Ruth's future and all the good things and what God's wanting to do in Ruth's life. And hope was beginning to take root and take effect in Naomi's life. The biblical definition of the word hope is confident expectation. And that's what was beginning to happen in the life of Naomi. Because without hope, life loses its meaning. Man, If we don't have hope, we are miserable. Without hope, without a confident expectation... Life begins to lose its meaning. And when our hope is put in God, the Bible declares that he will help us. When we put our hope in God, God's word declares that he will help us when we put our hope there. Now, our hope is in Jesus Christ. It's not in anything else. My hope is in Jesus Christ and his righteousness and everything that he does and he, he is. And what we see from Naomi's life is all of a sudden... She started getting her mind off of herself and she started getting her mind on to helping Ruth and Boaz and everything going on there. And when she did, as she began to serve others, she began to receive joy and strength and satisfaction. Hope began to arise in her life. Hope began to explode in her life. And it's kind of like, I, I think about it and put it in terms of us. Last week I talked about a, a trip that we're getting ready to take to Nicaragua and uh, in January. And in January we're going to go down and we're going to help Pablo and Anna and Life Church Ministries there. And we're going to help them uh, uh, 
go into a new building. We're going to build some platforms, some stages, some different things. But also we're going to go in there and just be, be helping them to secure that thing up to have new ministry for the families of Madagapa. And it's an exciting time. I, I, I got excited last week. We were going to have... I told Josh, you know, we'll try to take five to eight guys down. It's kind of a short notice trip. We'll get five to eight guys going down there. And I want to tell you, we already got 18 men signed up to go to Nicaragua here just a few weeks. It is an amazing thing. I am so excited for, for what God is about to do in this place. Brian Porcio that preached last week, he, he's getting airline tickets. He's going to meet us in Nicaragua. He wants to be there with us and be a part of it. He just felt the presence of God in the service and, and what was going. And just God connected his heart with this trip. And so we got all these great things going. But here's the deal. As we go down there and we serve the people of Nicaragua, and this also goes with serving your neighbor or serving here at the church or at the food pantry, whatever it is. But as we go down and serve, as these men go down and serve in Nicaragua and they, they start helping them, do you know what? The problems that they have in their life, the problems that I have in my life, they go kind of start going away when I focus on somebody else's problems. Does that make sense? When I start focusing on helping somebody else, my problems seem to kind of lose their things. When my hope is weak, when your hope is weak, when you just can't seem to muster up hope in your life, look to somebody else and try to meet a need in their life, and I think you will find that your hope begins to rise up. It's pretty biblical. Matter of fact, <coughs> in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. And man, at this holiday, this is a time to where we're thinking about others. But this is that focus on, don't just look to your own interest and what you have. Look to the interest of those around you and people you do, just everybody around you. And when you do that, hope begins to come up in your life. That hope begins to take over. There can be no true joy in the life of a Christian who puts himself above, above other people. We want to make sure that we put others above ourselves and God does great things. So back to Naomi and Ruth. When they first arrived in Bethlehem, they first arrived in Bethlehem, and uh, the plan seemed to be to try to scratch out a living the best they could. That was the deal. They were going to try to scratch out a living the best that they could. And, uh, hey, Corey, would you step out there? Take care of that. Thank you. Let's stop and pray right now, okay? God's wanting to do something big in somebody's life right here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you know all things at all times. And Father, we thank you, God, for your presence. God, we thank you for your power. We thank you, God, that your timing is perfect at all times. God, I thank you for this young man. I thank you for what you're doing in this life. I thank you, God, today was not by chance or accident. And Father, I pray, God, that you deliver and set free. I pray, God, that hope would rise up. I pray life be spoken into him right now. I pray, God, that he would receive. And God, commit all things into you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we got Ruth and Naomi, and they go back, and pretty much what their plan was at this time was they were going to try to scratch out a living, pretty much. Ruth did, or Naomi didn't have a lot of hope. She thought, if we go here, we'll just try to scratch out a living the best that we can. We'll try to survive. We'll get by. 
And unfortunately, it, it, a lot of times we see these stories in the Bible, but they mirror what happens in Christianity today. And this story in the book of Ruth, we're going to see how we can get close to God, but we can also see how we can get far away from God. And there's a lot of people in their Christian lives that they are, they are trying to scratch out. They're trying to just get by as Christians. And we're not living that abundant life that Jesus died to give us. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said he come to give us life and it more abundantly. So we're not just to scratch out a Christian existence. We're to scratch out life to the full. Amen? We're to live a life that's to the full. And that's what's there. Hope changes everything. And it began to change. Naomi sees a brand new plan. All of a sudden she sees Ruth and she sees this relationship developing with Boaz. She sees maybe a wedding coming. She sees living happily ever after is all of a sudden on the horizon and hope begins to well up in her. And she says it's time to set things in motion. And she begins to work that way. Now keep in mind as you study this book it's much more than a great love story. The book of Ruth is not just a great love story. It's a story about Christianity. It's a picture of Christ's relationship to those who trust Him. And you're going to see this unfold in this story today. In the steps that Ruth takes to, to get close to Boaz, the steps that she takes, <coughs> we see the steps God's people, us, that we have to take if we want to enter into a deeper relationship with the Lord. Like Ruth, we can't be satisfied with taking the leftovers or, 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 or living off of, of uh, gifts that are given to us, extra that's left there on the side. It's, it, we must want Him alone. We must want God alone. Because if I get God, then I get everything God has. Does that make sense? I don't want to go through life looking for... Um, um, just looking for the things of God or the, the provision of God, just the provision of God. I go through life looking for God, and when I have God, then I have God's provision. I have everything. He owns everything, and when I walk with Him, I have everything that He owns. Make it sense? So you have those things that, that is there. It's not the gift that we are seeking. It's the giver of the gifts. So we want to prepare, <clears throat> and that's what... Ruth is doing here. She is, Naomi is helping her to prepare to be in the presence of Boaz. And I want to focus on that word prepare. It means to make ready or adjusted, to get everything in line for what we have today. So it's kind of like this back in old eastern times when people would come through the line and when, when um, um, kings would be getting ready to go somewhere to visit a new country. And when kings would be getting ready to go and they would be getting ready to set everything up in these countries and, and, and they were going to go on a visit, a political visit, they would take and they would send out some pioneers along the way in front of them. What would happen is these pioneers would go and these pioneers would set everything up and they would go and they would clear the way. If there was potholes in the road, they would fill them in so the chariots could come through there. If there was limbs hanging down that was going to scratch the sides, they would get you know, or, or, or hinder the working of things. They would get all of that together and get all those things like lined out. Whatever it might be that was going along down the sides of it or, or, or would be hindering the progress of the king coming, these people went and prepared the way and made the way straight they prepared it for him and that's the same thing God wants to do in our lives that's what was going on in the story he wants to prepare a way he wants a clear path to come into our lives he wants us to be prepared for the presence and sometimes as people and as Christians we don't get prepared for the presence of God and so we see this unfold here in this story Ruth chapter 3 verse 1 Naomi her mother-in-law said to her <coughs> my daughter 
Should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now listen to these. There are certain words I want you to grab. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak or put on new clothes and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go in and cover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, Ruth replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, many men <coughs> would have married Ruth. Many men at that time, they would have married Ruth, but none of them, none of them could redeem her. None of them could have redeemed her. Only a kinsman could do that. Only a kinsman redeemer. And Boaz was that kinsman redeemer. Now, Naomi, the mother-in-law, she understood the process of the harvest. She knew that Boaz would be working out on the threshing floor. She knew that Boaz would be guarding the grain on the threshing floor. So she began to instruct Ruth, and she began to tell Ruth how to prepare to meet Boaz. And so when you look at the preparations made here before she presented herself to Boaz, it's the same type of preparations we need to make to come into the presence of God. Amen? And you're going to see that unfold. So the first thing that she tells her is she tells her, go and wash. Now, before you came to church today, you probably washed up. You probably at least wiped your face off in the mirror and fixed your hair a little bit or messed it up and put gel in it, whatever you want to do. But you did something to prepare yourself to wash to come to the house of God. Or if you're getting ready to go out on a date, you wash up and you get every kind of fix your hair and, and uh, put on some, some deodorant. Man, you kind of get things going on, so you go out on a date. That's what... Naomi was telling Ruth Naomi was telling Ruth to wash up actually like a bride and to get cleaned up and sometimes we as Christians wonder why different things in our life we might wonder why our worship is flat we wonder why we can't seem to feel God we wonder why we can't recognize God's presence we wonder why our hope is weak we go through these things and we try to want, we try to figure out what's going on and one of the reasons is this is sometimes we don't prepare ourselves for the presence of the king we don't prepare ourselves for the presence of God. We just rush in. We just rush into God's presence or we just rush into life. We, we just kind of rush in and we don't prepare ourselves. And when we don't prepare ourselves for His presence, we end up missing His presence. If we want a deeper relationship with the Lord, there are areas that need to be probably uh, <coughs> washed up in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body, spirit, bringing holiness, completion, and the fear of God. Whenever we sin, and I'm sure that you sin, I'm sure we all sin, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Whenever we sin, we pray like David did in Psalm 51 too. Wash me thoroughly, Lord, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. We just pray. When you mess up, you pray and ask God to forgive you. And when David said, wash me from my iniquity, what that is, that word iniquity means bending towards sin. That's what it means. It bend. So it's like if this was a straight line and, and this side was righteousness and this side was sin, iniquity means that I just kind of bend toward the sinful side instead of bending toward the righteous side. And David was saying, God, I need you to help me so I don't bend toward sin. I'm always bending toward sin. And without the presence of God and the Holy Spirit in our life, we're going to bend toward sin more than we're going to bend toward righteousness. 
We're going to bend to be like the world instead of bend to be like God. So David's just crying out, Lord, wash me. Help me right here. Um, help this iniquity. Help this bending towards sin. Get it out of my life. Now, sometimes God, you know, and God answers that prayer. But there's other times in life where God says, go wash yourself. Isaiah 1.16 says, wash yourself and make yourself clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. So when we seek God's forgiveness, God washes the record clean. 1 John 1, 9 says, um, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to do that. But God also will not do for us in those areas that we need to do for ourselves. I'm going to talk to you a little bit. This goes a whole lot along the lines with this addiction thing I talked about a little bit ago. I know it's a sickness and I know there's problems, but there's things that God asked us to do. And he tells us he will give us power over it as we do it. As we do it, he gives us power. But when we refuse to, to, to move in those ways, then we begin to struggle. There's certain things that only we can put out of our lives. Things that defile us. Things that we're hung up on. Things that we can't stop doing. Whatever it might be, things that you know that God has spoke to you in your life that you're not supposed to be around that person or around that thing or, <coughs> or watch or whatever it might be. A lot of times I preach with this Kleenex box and use it as my illustration. This is something that God's told me, whatever it represents, it represents something that God's told me to get out of my life. There are certain times where God will say, buddy, I want you to wash up this area of your life. And I'm like, oh, God, just take that thing away from me. And God's like, dude, you got to let go of the box. You got to let go of the box. You got you to get rid of it. There's times that you got to get rid of that. We know, and there's for people, I want you to know, there's things in our lives that we know what they are. And if we pray and ask God to reveal those things, he will. If we pray and ask him to. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And when you pray those prayers, if there's anything hindering your walk with God, God will reveal that to you. And then he will say, buddy, I want you to get rid of that out of your life. Don't pick it up. Don't let it have effect in you. Don't let it hurt you anymore. That's one. How do you prepare to be in the presence of the king? Quit doing the things you know you're not supposed to do. Quit letting them control you. Now, now, do you need extra power, man? That Kleenex box, I like that thing. I like whatever it is. So I like, so I gotta put it out, and then I ask for it. It's as I put it out, he gives me the power over it. But if I sleep with it, if I if I keep it, if I pet it, if I if I got it and I keep it right under here all the time so it can just be close, just in case I need it. Just in case I need to touch it. Just in case I... Man, I am not doing what he asked me to do. But it's as I put it out there, he gives me power. And I get to further and further and further away from it. Am I making sense to anybody? And the reason we don't feel his presence or have hope in us sometimes is we refuse to step away from the things and we keep them too close to us. The next thing that Naomi told Ruth, she said, anoint yourself. In other words, she said, put on a little perfume. Make yourself pleasant to be around. <coughs> Anointing oil in the Bible speaks of the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the anointing of God. We need the anointing to live in the presence of God. Now, Jesus, when he was on earth, he was fully God. He was fully man. While he was on earth, he set the perfect example for us to follow in our lives. He depended on the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 4. 
He stood up in verse 16. He came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the anointing, Jesus set it all in motion. And he set this example for us to follow that we need to walk in the anointing of God, the power and the anointing of God. Now, I read this statement over this past week or so, and it said, would most churches even notice, if the Holy Spirit was pulled out of a church, would people notice? Or would church just go on as normal? got me to thinking about a lot of things. So it made me think, if the Holy Spirit was pulled from my life, would I notice? Or would life just continue to go on in my life as normal? I don't believe so. I I try to be Spirit-led. Now, thinking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. Sometimes, He might ask you to do a weird thing every once in a while, but the Holy Spirit's not going to make you weird. Matter of fact, right there, the anointing makes you pleasant to be around does that make sense it's going to make you pleasant to be around it's going to be there's a there's a savior there's something there that people are going to want to be the holy spirit in your life should make people want to be around you because there's hope rising up out of this man because the spirit of god is in him so where the spirit of god is and the anointing is then the hope is going to rise up and people are going to want to be around you they're not going to be weirded out by you they're going to be, want to be drawn to you. And so, so she tells her, she said, perfume yourself up and get yourself ready. We're to walk in the Spirit so we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The next thing Naomi tells her to do, she said, now go change your clothes. She's been working. She's got work clothes. She probably had one. I looked in the history. Uh, what was going on that she probably had one nice outfit that she wore to uh, special occasions and everything. So Naomi tells her, go put on the nice outfit. It was time for Ruth. She'd been, she had been um, um, sorrowful, and it was time for her to take off the garments of sorrow and dress for life and dress for hope. And in Scripture, clothing carries a spiritual meaning. After Adam and Eve had sinned, after they had sinned, and they tried to cover it up. Remember, they tried to cover up their sin by um, putting on uh, leaves and different things. And God had to come in, killed an animal, and covered their sin. Their sin had to be covered. It could only be covered by God. So clothing was there, there for that. <coughs> Jewish priests wore special garments that nobody else was permitted to wear. And salvation, all through the Bible, salvation is pictured as a changing of clothes. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are new. It's a changing of clothes. Christian living means that I take off the grave clothes and I put on the grace clothes. I've taken off the grave and I've changed my clothes. Now I'm living by the grace of God. And we cannot come into God's presence on our own righteousness. The Bible teaches that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. But when I come to God and I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, then I come to God in His righteousness or the righteousness of Jesus and it makes my entrance there. I'm prepping for the presence of God. I'm preparing myself to be in God's presence. Why is that? Because I'll never be good enough to get into God's presence on my own. I've got to have the covering of Jesus' shed blood. And I'm never too bad that I can't receive the blood of Christ. Amen? 
I've never done too much. I've never been too far away. None of us have sinned. Uh, 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 sins that Jesus can't forgive, he forgives them all. But I've got to have his righteousness come to God. So the next thing that she tells her in verse 4, and I'm kind of winding down, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. She said, when, when Boaz lies down, notice where he lies. Then go in and cover his feet and lie down, and he will teach you what to do. There was a proper way for this marriage to be arranged. It was a proper way. It was the only way for it to be arranged. There was nothing improper about what, what Ruth did. It was the only way Ruth could offer herself to a kinsman redeemer. This was the plan. This was the way it is to unfold. She had to put herself at the feet of the Lord of the harvest. Then the Lord of the harvest would do the rest, which was Boaz. Now, I thought about this. What if on the way to the threshing floor, Ruth decided, you know what? I'm going to take a different approach. Why should I lie down at his feet of this man I want to marry? Why should I uncover his feet and then ask him to put a corner of his mantle over me? Um, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to lay up by his head or I'm going to lay by his side. If she wanted to change the rules and come into the presence of her kinsman redeemer in a different way. And we can't change the rules either. We all come to Jesus the same way and we all have to come to the feet of the Lord of the harvest. It's not that we come up and we want to see his hands or we want to see his head, just what he can do for us or what he says about us. We've got to come to his feet and then he will do the rest. It's a place of submission in our life. We're submitting to the Lord and he enters in. And today, that's why many people struggle with the presence of God is because we do not properly put ourselves at the feet of the Lord of the harvest. We don't take the time and we don't properly... <clears throat> prepare ourselves to be in Jesus' presence. And that's what he wants to do for us. The final thing that we see is, John, you guys can come, worship come, is this. Verse 5, she replied, all that you say I will do. Ruth was not only a hearer of the word, but she was also a doer of the word. And we live in a world that if we're not careful, and it's probably been this way, every preacher, every generation has probably said we live in a world that's more of a hearer than a doer. But I want to tell you, it's all around us. And if it's all around us and we're not careful, it's going to be in us. And there's a world out there that's hearers of the word, but we're not being doers of the word of God. And we have to be. We, we have to be. A willingness to obey the Lord is the secret of knowing what he wants us to do and being blessed when we do it or we follow through on it. And, and what happens is if we're not careful, we often pray for God's will and people pray for God's will with no intention of doing God's will if it interferes with their plans. God, I want your will. God, I want your perfect will over this battle that I've been having with this. God, I want your perfect will over this. But only if it agrees that I can keep it underneath this pulpit and keep it really close to me. But when we come and pray for his will, she says, I'm going to obey you no matter what you tell me to do. And so when we come to God, if you want to be in the presence of God and feel the hope of the Lord rise up in you, not your hope, and you want a hope that's concrete, it's we come in with no preconceived ideas. And God, I'm going to obey what you tell me to do when I come into your presence. We're going to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. In James, it says in verse 22, but be you doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. <clears throat> For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at the natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of freedom, the law of liberty, and perseveres, keeps on looking, being no hearer who forgets but a doer ex, will be blessed in all he does. So we can't forget, we can't turn away. So we want to prepare for God's presence. 
How do I prepare for God's presence? I come into his presence with an open heart and with an open life. An open heart and an open life. Nothing hidden, everything revealed. And I'm trying to be as transparent with you this morning as I can be on a lot of tough situations. But we can't hide nothing. We can't be hiding things and expect God's blessings to flow in our life. We've got to get it all out in the open. Nothing hidden, everything revealed. <coughs> we want to prepare for His presence. We want to wash we want to be anointed. We want to change the clothes, change the way we think. Let a new way of thinking overtake your life. Ask God for help, for God to remove the old patterns, the old mindsets. Ask for Him to give you freedom in that area. God, I don't want to think about this box anymore. And ask Him, and as you throw it, He begins to do that thing. Change the clothes. Come into His presence properly, openly. With the dedication and the decision that I'm going to obey what he tells me to do when I get there. I'm going to obey. <clears throat> Why is it that we struggle so much with the presence of God in these days? I think it's because we rush into his presence. And as your pastor today and just any time. There's times that I have to stop and say, God, slow me down. Slow me down, God. Even preaching today, I, I felt this. Here I'm preaching on, and I feel this rush to preach at times. And this rush to get you out and the, this rush for different things. And, and, and we get that rush. And you know what that's from? That rush is everywhere in our life. My alarm goes off at this time. I want to be at work at this time. I, I, I got to do this. I got this appointment. I got that appointment. I got this. I got that. I got this. I got that. I got this. I got that. And at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, you come in and you say, God, I give you three songs to touch me. You got three songs, God. You're on the schedule. Here's three songs because I'm busy, God. So I need you to touch me right now really fast, God, because I got. And we rush in. If we're not careful, we rush in because our lives are so busy. And we're missing the very presence of God that will help us in all of life. And the enemy is stealing, killing, and destroying our time with God and robbing from us the very life that Jesus died to give us. So we've got to prep for his presence. We've got to, we got to want to be. We can't just kind of rush in and rush in and say, okay, God, I've given you this one hour. And now, God, I, I'm going to go back and do all these other 50 million things. And I'll be back next week, which I'm glad that you come back. But his presence wants to be with us all the time. His presence is what leads us and guides us and keeps us away from the box and letting that box have control of your life. His presence is what opens up the windows of heaven. His presence is what helps us to speak into somebody that's battling a problem. It's His presence. Are you ready for His presence? Why is presence important? Why does this church need the presence of God? Why do we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Why is that? In His presence, the Bible teaches us, is fullness of joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. The Bible also teaches over in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is my strength. So why do we need a church that understands the presence of God? Because in his presence is fullness of joy. And in his presence, in that joy is the strength. That we need to live this Christian life. So if the enemy can steal one thing from you, he's going to steal your preparation time of you being in the presence of God. I'll just make him busy. 
I'll just keep them out of the presence of God. And then they'll lose their joy, they'll lose their hope, and they won't have no strength to make it till the end. Or to live a life that's abundant. They won't have what they need along the way. Are you ready for His presence? Are you ready for His presence to invade your life? I've been praying, God, I want your presence to invade my health. You say, well, you're coughing. Yeah, good reason to pray. <coughs> good reason to pray. I don't stop praying. I don't give up on healing. God, touch me. Invade my lungs. May your presence invade my life. Invade my relationships. Invade my finances. God, invade every area of my life. I want your presence to overwhelm me, Lord. Your presence. God, I want to see your presence invade relationships in this church. God, invade my mind, my emotions, my attitude. Are you ready? Are you ready for his presence in your life? Are you ready? Then all I know to do is, when we do that, we step into his presence. If you want the change in your life, you step into his presence. Lord, I want your presence. So then step into his, for me it's, I'm an altar dude. I mean, I'm an altar guy. I love seeing people respond. I believe this, every time the word of God is preached, it demands a response from the people. And you're going to respond every time. It's either, pastor really sucked it up today and that was a bad message. I didn't get nothing out of it. That's your response. Or you're going to respond and say, you know what, there was something in that I needed. And I want to tell you, I've heard some really poor preaching, and I've done a lot of it. I've heard some good preaching, and once in a while I hit one. But I always find something, no matter who's preaching, whether I like them or not, I always find something to respond to. And say, God, that's, I, could, I could do that right there. I'm going to respond. I'm going to say yes to that right there. I'm going to say, yes, God, I need to be more prepared for your presence. I've been rushing around way too much. God, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to slow down, and I'm going to prepare myself to be in the presence of the King of Kings. Because when I step into your presence, you're going to give me something to do. You're going to give me something to say. You're going to give me something to preach. You're going to give me something to give. God, you're going to give me something that's going to change the world. But if I'm not prepared, it's just going to all go right on by. Because I was too busy to prepare myself to hear from the King. I was too busy to prepare myself to be in your presence. I was too busy. God, my stuff was more important than your stuff. But the whole thing is this. He wants to be all about our stuff and take care of us through it all. Are you ready for his presence? Are you ready for his presence? My goodness, I am. I am. Over the last few weeks, I've spent more time alone than I probably have. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> Probably my whole life. The last few weeks I've been alone. God's been planting vision and dreams and all this stuff in my heart. God didn't make me sick. But God uses everything. And I was slowed down enough to hear him. There's a blessing in all things. I was slowed down enough to hear his voice. Stood on my porch. 
And I would just stand out there, and for, a, for the first part, I just whined because I was sick. And as I let him begin to speak and prepare my heart, he began putting fresh vision, dreams, and desires in me for me, my family, the church. People started getting saved in my family. Things began to happen. I got family members that I'll let them announce it when they feel fit that are signing up for Bible college. Stuff that I've prayed for for years that all of a sudden it's just going during the time that I was sick standing on my porch. Don't understand it, don't like it, don't want it again. But I love him. And he'll use all things to work for the good for those who love him or are called according to his purpose. He loves you. Slow down. Slow down. Father, we love you today. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing. Thank you, God, for the plans that you have for us today. And God, I pray right now over this congregation, <coughs> over my church family and friends. Lord, I pray that you would help us to slow down, to, to prepare ourselves for your presence, to let the busyness and the hassle and concerns of this world take us away from our main concern, and that's your presence in our lives. Lord, strengthen us, empower us. Give us victory today. God, I believe victory starts when we, when we come before you and we're washed by your word. We trust in your anointing and walking in the Holy Spirit. When we change our clothes and we quit thinking like the world or quit thinking, quit thinking sorrowful thoughts about ourselves and we change our clothes and begin to think like you. God, when we properly prepare ourselves to be in your presence and ask you to help us, and when we come in, there's no preconceived ideas. We're just going to obey you. Things begin to change. Help us in those areas today, God, I pray. And if you're here today with everybody's head bowed, and you say, hey, preacher, I, I need to give my life to Jesus and get things straight with him today. Man, I've been trying to do this in my own strength, in my own power, in my own ways, and I've not been in the presence of God. Come on, man.